Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. The war in Afghanistan, at least for NATO, has come to an end. In August of 2021, things fell apart. The Afghan government, which the West, NATO, and even the EU to a large extent, as well as the UN, it collapsed almost overnight in a number of hours. In light of what we saw there and what happened, that's why we particularly wanted to make this podcast series to talk about the experiences of Afghanistan over the last 40 years. When you talk about the history of Afghanistan, I mean, you know, after the, the Bolsheviks took power in, in the Soviet Union, uh, one of the first things they did was they convened the Conference of the Peoples of the East, uh, and they met with people throughout uh, Eurasia. And one of the people they met with was the, the infamous Emir of Afghanistan. And uh, the Emir of Afghanistan was not a liberal by any means. He was not a progressive by any means. But, you know, Vladimir Lenin made clear, he said, we would support anyone against the imperialists, including the Emir of Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, you know, Lenin and the Emir of Afghanistan had a good relationship. And the Bolsheviks offered military support uh, to the Emir of Afghanistan in his fight against the British Empire. Um, and uh, that kind of showed the commitment to anti-imperialism and how the Bolshevik understanding was that capitalism in our time is imperialism. It is the domination of the world by big banks and corporations based in the Western countries that are holding back economic development around the world um, and that it was in the interests uh, of the, the Bolsheviks and the working people of the entire world uh, to resist uh, to resist imperialism and to align with any force that would re you know resist imperialism, uh, no matter... No no matter what its ideology or perspective. Um, and I think that's one particularly interesting anecdote from Afghan history. I think Stalin in his book, uh, The Foundations of Leninism, he also references the Emir of Afghanistan and the, the Soviet Union's support uh, for the Emir of Afghanistan in, in its fight against the, the British. European, the common sense of the American people under such trying circumstances are essential to the success of our efforts. Recently, there has been another very serious development which threatens the maintenance of the peace in Southwest Asia. Massive Soviet military forces have invaded the small, non-aligned, sovereign nation of Afghanistan, which had hitherto not been an occupied satellite. Um, so let's, let's begin, I suppose, from the, the start of the war. Um, the Soviet intervention begins in, in 1979. So can you outline for us the reasons why the Soviet Union deployed its troops to Afghanistan at that time? Well, this is a really broad question, and uh, people are usually arguing about the reasons behind it. Sadovsky, Vladimir Sadovsky, was the first person we interviewed. He lives in Odessa, Ukraine. He's the author of a book about the daily life of Soviet soldiers in Afghanistan during the 1980s. He is a professional reenactor. He collects Soviet weapons, Soviet items, and he, he knows and documents the detailed day-to-day -day stuff that Soviet soldiers did and had to part in. And, uh, for the official, official reason uh, which was uh, told for the soldiers who were deployed is that uh, the Americans wanted to be involved in Afghanistan and that the Soviet troops came there first and the matter was like within hours so that's what soldiers actually heard from their officers that the Americans were just about to invade Afghanistan themselves and then they would put the rockets on the south border of Soviet Union and that's it was not 
Well, it was not good for the country, for the party, so that's why they had to get involved in Afghanistan. Uh, well, now, of course, we know this was not really the case at the time. And um, the real reasoning behind, as it's seen now, is... Um, well, yeah, it's a really complicated question, <laughs> because the <laughs> Afghanistan government uh, asked the uh, Soviets, uh, Soviets to provide some armed forces to stabilize the situation in the country, because uh, the central government couldn't really control most of its provinces. But what Soviets did instead, they removed the central government by force, by killing the president Amin, or you can call him a president, and uh, they installed a new government, which was uh, a bit less communistic than the government which they brutally removed <laughs> in 1979. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, this is a really complicated question in many mm, ways. Yeah. Why and actually how the Soviets got involved in Afghanistan? The other thing that I, I think is interesting is, you know, when you talk about in the 1970s and 80s in Afghanistan, what was going on there, um, you know, we now have, I mean, it's, it's a matter of public records, big new Brzezinski, the longtime U.S. strategist came out and he said it was the Afghan trap. Uh, the United States provoked a situation in Afghanistan where you had a monarchy in Afghanistan that was neutral, that there was a very pro-Soviet political party, the People's Democratic Party, um, but there were also pro-U.S. forces and you had a monarchy that was friendly to both the United States and the Soviet Union. And you had the situation where, where Brzezinski admits what happened was the United States pressured the, the Afghan monarchy to begin a huge crackdown on the, the pro-Soviet People's Democratic Party, uh, which had a lot of support in the military, and basically forced them into a situation where they had to take power. Um, you know, they, you know, they didn't have the support among the rural population that they would have needed to have a stable, you know, coming to power. But they did have support in the cities and among the military. And so, when when the United States, you know, kind of forced the monarchy to start cracking down on this major political party that had support in the military, they basically had to have a coup and take power in order to not be killed. Um, and so you had a situation where the people. Democratic Party in 1978 took power prematurely. Um, and then almost as soon as they took power, the United States was ready to go with Osama bin Laden, uh, with, you know, al-Zarqawi and others who, who just poured into the country and fomented this insurgency. Um, and that then, you know, of course, the Soviet Union didn't want to have a, a base of anti-Soviet anti Islamic fighting on its border, uh, you know, right there in Afghanistan. So the Soviet Union was then obligated to support their aligned political party, the People's Democratic Party, to intervene. Um, you know, we get these crazy narratives where people say the Soviet Union, quote unquote, invaded Afghanistan. Well, no, they were invited by the government and, and they invaded it because they wanted hot water. They wanted water, drinking water or something from the ocean. It's this, this elaborate story. And it's like, it's very, it's very clear why the Soviet Union intervened. They intervened because their aligned political party was forced to come to power in order to not be wiped out. And then as soon as it came to power, it faced a, an extremist terrorist campaign, um, at which point uh, that terrorist campaign was not simply for Afghanistan. Um, you know, you already had a, a Chechen uh, anti-Soviet insurgency that was backed by the United States and Saudi Arabia. And the plan of Brzezinski was to spread an Islamic insurgency all throughout the Southern Soviet Union to turn Afghanistan into a base to spread terrorism all throughout Central Asia. And so the Soviet Union obviously felt an obligation to intervene and support their allies. And then when they did, according to Brzezinski, the, the plan was to uh, was to hand the Soviet Union, give the Soviet Union their own Vietnam. 
um, and to demoralize them. And it's, it's, you know, they make it sound like nobody in Afghanistan supported the People's Democratic Republic. Well, the Soviet Union withdrew its forces in 1989. Um, so they withdrew all their forces. But the People's Democratic Republic of Afghanistan held out until 1993 without any Soviet support. They were not getting any Soviet support, but they held out that long against forces that were backed by the United States and Saudi Arabia. And so the, the idea that they didn't have any support is completely out, outrageous. Now, what's interesting... We have been speaking to a number of veterans from different tours of Afghanistan, so Soviet and NATO, uh, as well as some authors and people. Um, and so I guess we want to start with your journey from the beginning, I suppose, um, getting into the Red Army as a, a soldier in the Soviet Union's army. Uh, how does that? How did that start for you? So the uh, the right name is actually Soviet Army. Alexander Ryabostan uh, is from Kiev in Ukraine. He is a veteran of one of the Soviet border guard units deployed to Afghanistan in 1988 and 1989. Red Army till 1943, and after that it was Soviet Army. Uh, as uh, as all boys in uh, USSR. Uh, innate uh, form of uh, school. I had a medical commission. After that commission, I was uh, mm, I was supposed to be uh, ready for for service in the army by health. So all all information about me was sent to the local Boeing command. That's uh, some kind of uh, uh, office. Uh, which is responsible for mobilization of citizens. So uh, for two years they were collecting information about me from school mo mostly and sending it to when command. I don't know in how in how how way, but in any way they were changing information. Uh, so when I became 18 after finishing the school and not entering the institute. I received the so-called Povieska, a note that I should come to Venkamat for another medical checking. I, I finished school in uh, May uh, 1989. Uh, that medical uh, research was made maybe in October 1989. And uh, uh, in November, I was uh, subscribed to the army, so I, I came to that one command, and <clears throat> they they brought me to the special, you know, punt here in Kiev, where I spent some time, uh, and that punt or that uh, point actually, young boys were collecting to so-called commands, to tribes actually like this, and after that they were deploying to their point of service. Interesting information that uh, I didn't knew that I'm coming to any special kind of troops. Nobody knows. Maybe somebody knows, but me not. After the medical research, they said to me, uh, Commander 220. So that was some, uh, some kind of... Uh, after, maybe when I enter the train, to, to the point of my service. 
I found uh-huh. out that uh, that means uh, PV, border guards. Okay, border guards. Okay, P- PV. Okay. So I, I want to say that I don't know where I didn't know where I'm going. Okay. Not the right. point, but what kind of troops? Okay. Okay. Got you. Didn't have any choice. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. Okay. You, 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 you had no choice which unit you were going to go to. Okay. And what did you feel at the time? So when you got this letter saying you know you're going to go and join border guards. How did you feel as an 18-year-old, uh, knowing that you're going to go and serve on the border in the Soviet army? Uh, actually, I had no choice. Okay. <laughs> I had no choice. Everybody should have uh, their service in, in Soviet army. I wasn't eager, actually. I wasn't eager. You weren't eager. You weren't eager, okay. And how about your family? How did your family feel? You know, at those times, your serving in army, it was like a holy... Holy payment to the state. You had no choice, actually. And if you had no choice, your special feelings is uh, is out of interest for no for anybody. Actually, okay. You should. You uh, you must. You have to, because your father did that. Your grandfather did that. So. Hello. Hey, Vlad, how are you doing? Thanks a lot for uh, agreeing to do this again. Thank you so much. Um, Alexander, uh, obviously, he doesn't speak English. Vlad, I'll, I'll um, obviously ask you questions, and then you just have to direct them to Alexandra, and then uh, obviously relay what he says, and then we'll do, do it like that. Alexander uh, Desyatsky, uh, he lives in Kharkov in Ukraine, and he served in around 1982. When did Alexandra get into the Soviet army? When did he join the army? Александров, в каком году вы попали в советскую армию? В 80-м, в мае месяце. He joined in May 1980. Um, if, if at all, to be honest, it's, it's mostly seen, you know, operations are seen as a deployment, it's a part of the job, uh, they follow orders, they're taught the rules of war, um, they're given a general overview of the, the reasoning behind the war, but it's not detailed. Um, the main focus is the mission, you know, the, the focus on securing ground, training Afghan forces, uh, neutralize the enemy and so on. Uh, and, you know, it's just hands-on kind of stuff. There's not much political education or much discussion of why they were there or why they go anywhere really. Um, it's, it's very, very short, at least for the, 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 the ranks, um, and perhaps more so for the officers. But in terms of Soviet soldiers, what, what was the political education like? Um, for, the, for, the, for the common soldiers, so not for officers. Well, political education was a big part of a soldier's life in the Soviet Union. So they would have this political education lessons. Uh, I can't remember if it was on a daily basis, but it was definitely a couple times per week when the political officer, which was uh, one per company, uh, would, uh, well, he would explain the policy of the party. It was generally him just reading the news for the soldiers and telling how great the Soviet party is and how bad is everyone else. 
And uh, so they were explained to some extent why they're in Afghanistan, what they're doing there, what the, the global idea is. But of course, this didn't work that much uh, in actual Afghanistan. So prior to the deployment, they would be taught some theoretical stuff about it. And when they were actually deployed, then the political officer would usually be in charge of something more important. Because as I told before, there was always lack of people. And actually, the lack of officers was even worse in terms of the percentage. So the political officer would usually be one of the officers in the company. He would actually lead the platoon or something. He wouldn't really have much uh, time or energy to do any political education. Uh, it was still it was still done on a big basis uh, on the battalion levels usually. So there was like a uh, main political officer for the battalion. This guy would rarely be on operations, and he would actually do some political education for the soldiers. But uh, yeah, the, the the actual guys who were on the ground who were doing some actual soldiering, they would be very uninterested in these lessons, and they would just try to skip them at all cost. And. Um, yeah. He was a conscript and he served for two years. Where was his training? So Alexander uh, joined in May 1980 as a conscript, so he was as a private, so he was conscripted into the army, uh, and uh, he uh, went to the training base in uh, Chermias uh, for the reconnaissance training. So that was a, a standard Soviet army unit uh, reconnaissance. So he got picked straight to go to reconnaissance? Uh, yeah, that's basically how, how the Soviet army operated. It, it, it's not like you would get into reconnaissance after serving sometime, you just get straight into it. Straight into reconnaissance. And same will go with any other special, well, what is considered special nowadays. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that special back then, so if you would, uh, you could be easily conscripted into special forces mm -hmm. straight from your school desk, really. But his, Alexander, you Okay, so uh, Alexander serves in the infantry regiment, motor, motor infantry, uh, in, in the reconnaissance um, company. And uh, so how long was the training and uh, how did he find training? Uh, so, Alexander was conscripted from Kharkov, uh, which is the second largest city in Ukraine. Uh, they went to Chermes, where he was chosen among uh, 20 other most sport-related people, and that's how he got into the reconnaissance training. And after months and a half, uh, when training ended, uh, uh, he was deployed um, to Afghanistan. They uh, went uh, by plane to the city of Kunduz, and then uh, to Polykomri. BV, a BV unit, a border guard unit, right? So I, I want to say that I don't know where, I didn't know where I'm going. Okay. Not the right. point, but what kind of troops? didn't have any choice. You you can say to them, I want to be uh, airborne. They said, okay, right. and it can influence on their position or didn't influence. I mean, the special commission, which were sure. uh, in command, which were uh, deciding uh, what kind of troops you are going. So I'm entered the train and we're going to Kyrgyzstan, uh -huh. to Perjvalsk city. Now the name of that uh, city is Karakol. Karakol. Okay. Former it was Perjvalsk. 
spent around seven seven days in train, but only on the fifth day I came. Uh, I found out that I'm going to to Kyrgyzstan. It okay. was a secret. It was a secret where we are going actually for five days. All right. Okay. I, I should say that uh, PV it's quite uh, different kind of troops comparing with the others uh, in the former Soviet Union uh, mm -hmm. army because you know we have Ministry of Defense mm -hmm. and they get different troops infantry tank you know artillery mm -hmm. but PV it was under the KGB uh, right. so the so the structure was quite uh, another so. Uh, the border was divided uh, by so-called atrats, so uh, or detachment or squad. Squad, it's, uh, around, it's a bit more than 1,000 people. It was responsible for for some border distance. It can be from 150 kilometers per squad up to 400 kilometers, depending on the territory and the terrain. Right. So a thousand men would, would be looking at or looking after a piece of 150 kilometers to 100 kilometers of the border, the Soviet border on Afghanistan. Yes. Okay. That, yeah. okay. no, 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 I, I came to the border not with Afghanistan, but with China. Okay. With China? Okay, okay, okay. So I'm, I'm trying to explain you the structure, you know? Sure, sure, sure. go ahead. Uh, the structure of PV was like a triad, yeah? If you're entering the uh, service, you came to Atrat. There in Atrat, after all, uh, twice a year, they receive uh, men, yeah? Twice a year. In, once in uh, spring and once in autumn. I was mm -hmm. from autumn uh, constriction. Conscription, yeah. Conscription, yeah. Uh, so, uh, after the uh, all people came to the Atrat, uh, they made uh, like a, they they began. I mean, the officers, the commanders, they began to to find persons which they need in that crowd. Actually, yeah, I was I was surprised that uh, I, I I was thinking that first they will uh, will be calling uh, for some you know persons who is shooting good. Who is a sportsman or whatever? Right. No, the first uh -huh. position which was called from this crowd was who is driving tractors. Okay. <laughs> and I can't understand why do they need so many persons who can drive a tractors. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and after uh, after some days, I I, I understand because in uh, every outrage, such a track, there was so called. Uh, the, uh, detachment Moto Maneuver Group, and they were using BMP. Oh, BMP, BMP. right, right, BMP. So, uh, a tracked light armored, yeah. uh, armored personnel carrier. Okay. Yes. Or in some other trucks, that, that was BTRs. BTR. 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 So, this is a, a wheeled armored personnel character, uh, carrier. Sorry. We have B BMPs. You guys were BMPs. Yes. So. I became a, 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 a rifleman and spent uh, three months and a half in uh, in that attract. They taught me everything which was, uh, you know, with infantry actually, and plus uh -huh. some special courses for border for border guarding. Did you say three months? 
three and a half, okay. almost four months. So was that kind of like your training? Yes, it was a training. It was okay. called the, the course of young warrior. Of young, of young Yes, course of young warrior. Mm. Our commanders in, in PV, very rare was using the word soldier. Very rare. When the uh, officer is using the word soldier, it means you are... Uh, yeah, there are another, another words in Russian, boyets or boyen. If they, you heard such words, everything is okay. If you heard soldier, soldat, it means you have a problem. Okay, okay. What does the other word mean? The, the other phrase, sorry, the, the, the nice one? Boyen. Boyen. No, no. Boyen. It means fighter. Okay, okay. Got you, got you. Okay, got you. Boyen, okay. Okay, cool. Boyets. Boyets, mm, okay. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so, soldier in trouble and voyets if everything's okay. On that training course, we were divided for riflemen, drivers, and uh, those who are responsible for communication. I don't, don't know the uh, right word. Uh, radio communication, so uh, um, a signaler? Yes. Uh, okay. So, drivers spent a bit, a bit more, and signal commands also spent a bit more, not uh, four months, around mm -hmm. five months. Also, in PV we had mortars, so mm -hmm. there were some boys who were training on mortars. And those boys who, who had the license for tractors, they were sent to the Soviet Army, to their okay. training abilities, you know. And they uh, came back in half a year. I mean, those who, who was driving the BMPs and who was shooting from uh, gun. machine gun yeah, and yeah. that uh, rocket launcher, actually. It's not actually the rocket launcher uh, inside the BMP. So, everybody after that training courses were going to the border, to the Zastava. Zastava means the point just on the border. And every Zastava had their, their own... Uh, piece of border, which uh, it was responsible for. So, uh, I spent there around 10 months, but ten after months that... Well, 10 months with the Kyrgyz, at the Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan um, training yeah. location. Okay, okay gotcha. Okay. Uh, but at, at the very border, I spent almost one month. Because, you know, every uh, PB soldier should spend some time on border. After that, I was returned to the Atriat, because actually in Atriat, there were more people than on the border at the moment. I see, I see. So, there are, in PV, it was two parts of uh, people. One part is serving on, on the border, other part mm -hmm. is serving in Atriat, where is situated mortars, PMPs, engineer, engineers, you know, Radio communications, uh, warehouses, etc., etc., etc. Okay, I just want to go back on something, Alexander. I just want to just just what. So, um, you got the the letter from the local office in in, in 1989. You were 18 years old. Uh, how much time did you have to get ready to go uh, out to the training with the the, the border guards? How much time? How much notice did they have? Not not more than a month. Um. Just as an idea, obviously, training in, as a Soviet soldier, or sorry, as a border guard, you know, rifle training, bayonet training, grenade training, I'm sure you went through all of these. And also, did you have a tractor's license? Could, did you know how to drive a tractor or not? Me? No. 
Okay. okay. No, no. I'm from the city, so so no. Right, you're from Kiev. You're from Kiev. No trackers yeah. in Kiev. But but for them at that that moment that was uh, they can't fight so called um, mechanic drivers for BMPs. Mm-hmm. That was point one at the moment to find for no, I mean for for commanders to find the persons for driving BMPs, because uh, less and less uh, boys were coming to the army from uh, countryside. Right. right, that was that. That is why they were looking for these tractorists, actually. So, so tell us what. So, what was the next step? So, once you'd finished your training and you were getting ready, at what point did you know you were going to Afghanistan? In August uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Ah, sorry, I, I said to you that I was. Uh, I came to army in nineteen. Uh, you said 1987. Yes, in August, uh, yeah, 1988, just in the day when Mojahedin uh, captured the Kunduz city. Okay. Uh, some officers from uh, Okruk, Okruk it means uh, what is uh, is higher than a threat, yeah? For example, uh, uh, like a battalion, maybe. Uh, like a what? Be a battalion, a battle group, a division. Yeah, there are battalions, and uh, higher is a regiment or right. brigade. Yeah, yeah that's right. battalion, regiment, and then uh, maybe uh, division. Yes. Um, yeah. Actually, okay. actually, uh, they were like regimes, re- regiments. Regiments. Okay. Instruments. And mm. uh, higher is the Okrug, like a division. Just came from the Okrug. Maybe in 15 minutes, everybody in in, <laughs> in Atrat uh, knew that they came for collecting persons uh, for Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, and first questions was why? Because uh, the withdrawal of the troops began, and uh, it should be finished the first stage of that. Withdrawal 50 percent in 15th of August 1988, but they came. I don't remember quite. What it was, or 9th or 10th of August. Mm. Just just five days uh, before the actually before the yes the first stage of the withdrawal. The right. so-called Geneva Agreement was like this: 50 percent of the troops should be withdrawn until. 15th of uh, August 1988, and the rest 50% should be withdrawn uh, at uh, 15th of February. Uh, yes. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yes. Uh, at that moment, we we thought that we we will be uh, you know deliberating the Kunduz Kunduz city because mm-hmm. it, it was captured for by Mojahedins at those times, but. Uh, it, in two days, they collect on base of our trad almost uh, fully completed MMG, motor maneuver group. Motor maneuver group, as far as I remember, as far as I remember, uh, the full. If it's full, it uh, 230 persons. It uh, consists from three zastavas. Uh, that is special word with, which is using in uh, PV. Uh, and everybody in PV uh, understand that when you said Zastava, 
It means around 50 persons. Okay, just have 50 persons. 50 persons. At, in, in our case, it was, as far as I remember, including officers and one uh, warrant officer, it was uh, 55 persons. So, it, uh, every Zastava had uh, five or four BMPs, 55 persons, two AGS, you know what is AGS. Uh, the, 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 the trucks, right? Granite launcher. Oh, oh, okay, AGS, uh, not, like, AGS. Not, like a, not like RPG, but uh, right. like a small cannon. Yeah, 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 AGS-17, the tripod, three legs, right? Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Uh, a, a grenade machine gun, basically. <laughs> yes, grenade machine gun. Uh, yeah. Four RPGs, uh, five uh, PK, PK. Mm -hmm. one of them on uh, special construction. A tripod, uh, three three yeah. legs, right? On yeah. tripod, yeah, right. So uh, the uh, the officers, one was commander of the Stava, second was his uh, deputy, responsible for. We call them Zampo boy. It means uh, deputy for combat operations, some something like this. De deputy for combat. In charge of supplies or in charge of command. Uh, actually, in, in charge of spending uh, his time with uh, stuff, because commander never spend a lot of time with with the stuff. He's a boss. Okay. Actually. Okay. With the staff. With the staff. Sorry. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Got you. Got you. Okay. Okay. Responsible okay. for for physician training for any kind of other trainings. Uh, mm -hmm. Another officer was. Uh, yeah. Very unlike, <laughs> it was a so-called um, deputy for um, politics. Commissar. Yeah, right, commissar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> why? Why was he unpopular? Because he was draining your brains. <laughs> 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 okay. Spend your time in, in nonsenses, you know. <laughs> uh, All right. And one warrant officer. Which was responsible for um, every, you know, um, our lifestyle, or responsible for supply of uh, food, for supply of uh, armors, for supply, whatever, you know. Warrant officer was uh, responsible for that. Uh, okay. Besides Sriza Stava, it was also mortar, battery, we call it battery. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as I remember, it was four 120 mortars and two okay. eight, 82 mortars, uh, plus uh, so-called uh, anti-tank squad. It was. It has three SPG. Recoilless rifle, so a long yeah, tube yeah. stationary yeah. gun that fires On a big round designed to kill yeah. tanks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, Spigot, yeah. uh, plus squad for supply. Uh, and then you, I think you said you had a squad for supply. So the SPG, anti-tank squad, and then a, a squad for supplies too. Uh, the right word, it seems to me, platoon. No, not squad, platoon, platoon yeah? Yeah, platoon. right, platoon, yes, yeah, a supply platoon, okay. So, okay, quite quite a big unit then. Did you guys have helicopters integrated in, in a part of your unit, a part of your uh, Zastar? You know, came for us on supply and something, or... Or we make them radio call 
if we we are in trouble and they were coming. Okay, okay, okay. Call them in. So there's a story that um, I've heard, and uh, maybe you've heard it too. Perhaps you can shed some light on the story. Is that um, when uh, Soviet forces uh, rolled in, uh, particularly into the south, into Kandahar and, and Helmand, um, because a lot of the soldiers, the Soviet soldiers, were from Tajikistan or um, Uzbekistan or uh, you know some of the Central Asian Soviet republics, uh, you know once they rolled into Kandahar, for example. They, you know, hopped off the tanks, dusted off the uniforms, and you know, went and drank tea or cha uh, at the local bazaar because, of course, the soldiers, their Soviet soldiers, you know, had a similar culture or had some more in, more in common uh, with some of the Afghans. Um, is that true? Is that is that how things were? Uh, I believe this uh, this could actually have happened. Uh, uh, the main reason behind is that the um, uh, first soldiers who entered Afghanistan, especially the infantry and tank regiments, they were mainly consistent of mobilized troops. So these were the older people, so like in their 30s, 40s, uh, sometimes even 50s, who were mobilized from their usual way of life or wherever they were working, like on the factories or fields, and uh, well, conscripted again to the army for the mobilization period. And uh, these people were not very motivated in terms of actually like going and killing anyone or capturing anything. <laughs> they, okay. they were just uh, well old, regular, regular old people. Maybe not very old, but older. So they weren't some uh, crazy twenty years old who wanted to prove themselves or anything. That this would come in later. And uh, you are correct about uh, the fact that most of these mobilized troops, they were actually from the Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. And this did have a lot of similarities with Afghanistan. They could speak, well, some of them could speak the same language. So uh, yes, this story is very much possible. Uh, also for another reason that um, Afghanistan weren't really against Soviets at the beginning. They didn't really know what's happening, so this was just all new to them. And the opposition, Mujahideens and the Islamic fighters, they weren't really a big force at the time. So they were strong enough to fight the Afghan government, which wasn't strong itself. Mm -hmm. But uh, they weren't well equipped, they weren't well motivated to fight Soviets from the very beginning. So the, the actual proper fighting would start, let's say, summer of 1980s, mm. it's not before that. Yeah, yeah, they just were indifferent, I mean, they didn't really know much about politics, I guess, even yeah. local, so they wouldn't even know who these people are on the tanks, in most cases. In his unit, did they have um, Uzbek soldiers, Tajik soldiers, soldiers from all across the Soviet Union, and, or was it all Ukrainians or Russians, and then... If there were other soldiers from the uh, other republics, did anyone else uh, engage and get on with the locals perhaps uh, differently? Like, you know, maybe the Ukrainians were very distant or different to these people. Maybe the Tajiks were closer. What was that like? Was there anything like that? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, Richard, uh, I was understanding that um, 
there were people pretty much from all over the Soviet Union in their regiments, from very from every republic. And uh, the the ones from the Asian republics, they uh, of course it was simple for them to communicate with the um, local guys, as uh, some of them knew the language or at least some words from the language. So it was just simple for them to engage with us. Okay. Um, okay. And then, uh, uh, so, Richard, back, back in the day, uh, the Soviet uh, regiments uh, were usually formed from all nationalities, uh, and only some very specialized units they tried to handpick people from special uh, nationalities. But this was like very rare exception. Really. Mm. So anyone would get into any units mm. as a general. Okay. It wasn't really considered when people conscripted. Okay, so it wasn't like regionalized. So you wouldn't have like the. Fifth Ukrainian battalion, you'd have just a general, just numbers and battalions, like a, a whole army that was just uh, spread. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, you usually get this um, like the place or country or city name in the, the regiment name, but this is only because of the location, or usually it's because of the location during the Second World War. So it doesn't really represent okay. who is in the battalion. Okay. So it can be like second Ukrainian something, and then there will don't be a single Ukrainian, for example. Okay. <laughs> In terms of your deployment from your hometown and to the PB and to and to all of this, Atriat and, and etc., did you deploy with people from your own town, from people you knew, or was it from people, were the people from all over uh, the Soviet Union, or did you know anyone in the unit from your hometown, okay. maybe? So many uh, no, no, I didn't know anybody. Mm, okay. Okay, so no one from your local town went together yes. with you? Firstly from Kyiv, uh, we traveled to Kharkiv, that was the command of Kyivites. There in Kharkiv, we uh, changed for a train where, uh, was, where, uh, where were people from all around the Ukraine. Okay. For, I mean, the territory of uh, which now is it state Ukraine. Yeah, right. And from Kharkiv, we began our six-day uh, trip to the Peugeot So you don't know any of these people, right? And just another question about the... Um, uh, you mentioned earlier about the officers uh, or the NCOs. If they said, Soldant, you were in trouble. If they said, um, they said, Vuyet, uh, Soboyen, you were, you were fine. But what was the relationship like with the officers and the NCOs in general? So was there a big divide? Or were they quite close to you? Yeah. What was it? How were you treated by the officers and the NCOs? According to statute, you know, according to statute, nothing according personal. To... Yes, okay. nothing right. personal. Every first day, uh, point one: the commander, the officer, is always right. Uh, point two: if officer isn't right, look po to point one. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I, I'm familiar with that. Okay, got you. It got was you, got quite you. strict. It was quite strict, but with with any kind of uh, um, harmful or with any kind of uh, you know f physical uh, job job. It was of course some job, but you know nobody was beating us. I, I want to say this. Okay, no one beat. Okay, that's good. Yes, it was. 
in uh, PV, so-called Didovshina, yeah? Maybe you heard such word, Didovshina. Didovshina? Yeah. It, 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 it wasn't so popular like in the Soviet army, where uh, uh, old persons, I mean the soldiers, uh, were treating uh, actually uh, youngers. Or sometimes even officers were doing the same. Actually using uh, soldiers for for their private, uh, you know... Oh, I see what you mean. I know. Something like yes. In PV yeah, it was okay. very strict and according to statute. That's for sure. Okay. So there was none of that. You didn't have any didoshina, any um, uh, uh, sexual abuse, uh, officers yeah. abusing their power and that kind of stuff. No. I mean, yes, so just to give people context, of course, this would have been, you know, this is the Cold War. It's the 1970s, the end of the 70s. Um, you know, Reagan would, would be just coming into power at this point, uh, handing over from Carter. Um, yeah, so Cold War politics at play, uh, regional politics too. Okay, so um, obviously different accounts as to why they went in. But once the troops entered, um, you know, if we look at the sort of NATO intervention, so starting in 2001, uh, NATO troops, obviously because of 9-11, flew in with the Northern Alliance, the, the Tajik and other sort of remnants of the Mujahideen that were in the north, and took Kabul and then gradually moved further south. So they took the north first, and particularly Kabul, and then went further south. So, for example, the UK uh, started only really started operations in Helmand, the, the southern province, in 2006. So it took a, quite a while for them to get from the north to the south of the country. What was it like for the Soviet Union? How did they uh, enter the country? Did they go in the same manner? I, I would say in a similar manner, because um, the main uh, road for, for the Soviet troops was through <coughs> through the city of Termias in Uzbekistan. Uh, and uh, this is on the very, very north of the Afghanistan, uh, near the city of Mazar-e-Sharif. And that's where the famous bridge is, and that's where is the famous uh, tunnel is. And that's how most of the 40s army regiments and battalions actually entered the country. Uh, the um, situation with airborne troops was a bit different, so they actually landed in Kabul. And they, uh, the primary mission was to take all the governmental buildings in Kabul, which they did in the end of December 1979. So they secured the area uh, and uh, while they were doing this, the rest of the army was moving on wheels into the Kabul and uh, into other cities. But um, I, as far as I know, I'm not very much uh, experienced with, the, I don't know much about the NATO experience um, exactly how and how it went in the 2000s. But uh, the Soviets controlled the country pretty quickly, like I'll say within within a month or so. So within a month, in most uh, big cities, there were Soviet regiments presented. So so yeah, more of a grander sweep, and I suppose because the Afghan government was a central government, that at the time the Afghan communist government would have been control of of the cities anyway. Whereas with yeah. NATO, yeah. with NATO, they were fighting the Taliban, and the Northern Alliance only had a sliver of territory territory in the north. Uh, okay, that's, that's correct. Yeah. And so you said he flew into Kunduz, so one and a half months of training, and they flew into Kunduz. And then when, where were they sent? Straight out to a, an outpost, uh, to a big base? Uh, what, how did they deploy? No, 
там базировался наш полк. So uh, Richard, they went uh, after deploying to Kunduz, they went to Polikumri, yeah. and uh, Alexander was stationed into the regiment itself. So the, the whole regiment was uh, based there, and he was on the bigger part of the base. Well, скажите, что вот ли нас там стоял? After um, After 2001, uh, a British or a U.S. Um, army base was located in the same place as uh, their infantry regiment. Hmm. And that's Puli Puli Kurumi. Yeah, Puli Kurumi. Okay, interesting. So the the British and the U.S. use the same base. Interesting. Okay, and um, so. How did, what did they feel when they arrived in Afghanistan? So obviously this is quite early in the war, 1980. What did he, what was his first impression of Afghanistan when he deployed? Richard, so Alexander believes it was a similar experience to yours, for example, as um, people in Afghanistan were obviously much um, Uh, Different? Poor than the poorer than the than the Soviets, and they had the poor living conditions. Uh-huh. So uh, he came from the land where they had like televisions and uh, automobiles and uh, all this modern stuff. And so he's saying that he basically went from 1980 to nine to 1359. Okay, so. So with this, you you then formed this uh, O group. Yeah. The right word is MMG, Motor Maneuver Group. Yeah. So in two days, on base of our uh, atriat there in Kyrgyzstan, they organized the most the core of that uh, MMG. Then we moved to Frunze. The BMPs were going uh, their own, and we were going in some trucks. In Frunze, that's the capital of Kyrgyzstan. There was at those time. Now it's Bishke. Uh, we uh, we take we took uh, Il 76 airplane. Mm-hmm. Oh, Il 76, yes, cargo yes. plane. Yeah, and uh, we were brought to Dushanbe, that is in Tajikistan. And from Dushanbe, we are brought by helicopters to Pyanch. Pyanch, that is a town on the every border and at the very border with Afghanistan. Yeah, it it took all that process of our deploying. Yeah, uh, it took at, at least 24 hours. In 24 hours, everything was in Pyanch, in so-called uh, field training center. Every every attract in the USSR, they they have field training center where there was uh, shooting range and uh, all all exercises which which should be done in field was was done in that field training center. So at those moment, I didn't know that such a deployment was done for every отряд which was situated on the border with Afghanistan. At, the, at, the, at that uh, those time, I don't know why we, it was done. Now I am understanding why it was done. Uh, you so know, because the north of Afghanistan was mostly controlled by Ahmad Shah Massoud, especially the eastern part. Of course, there was some other friends, we call them Ashnaks, yeah, in those region. I mean, Hikmatyar people also were in our region, but mostly all that uh, Mujahideens, uh, uh, they were uh, under the control of Ahmad Shah Massoud. Ahmad Shah Massoud, right. Yes. At, uh, at those times, Soviets had uh, an agreement with Massoud 
not to bother each other because from you know that there were uh, there was a lot of so-called panchir operations seven or seven or even nine somebody says and the result was the same so uh, as far as i know kgb had an agreement with masood don't bother each other especially taking into account that from uh, from 1986 Uh, so <clears throat> the main, it was said to us at those times that we are going to Afghanistan just to protect USSR border from inside the Afghanistan. Especially mm-hmm. taking into account that on uh, April of 1987 it was shelling of Pyanch. It was first time it was first time when Mojahedins were firing, firing, shooting, firing on a Soviet town. And uh, the reason why PV actually was in Afghanistan, it was to protect the border from from inside the Afghanistan. We had our zone of responsibility. I mean, this 100 kilometers in Afghanistan. And uh, so PV was responsible for for, for roads, for communication, for everything uh, at that period of time. But what I didn't know at that moment, yeah, that just uh, just in August of 1988, Najibullah asked Gorbachev last time to make some big combat operation to finish with uh, Ahmad Shah Masoud. And okay. if these operations will be done, yeah, the, uh, the, the Masoud fighters will answer us and they they could also answer us attacking the soviet border this is uh, they, what they, sorry they could they could answer you no, but uh, if you mean our commanders i mean uh, our party leaders kgb leaders they were yeah. afraid from another shelling of ussr territory uh, just to prevent uh, this especially taking into account that uh, Najibullah asked to make another operation in Panjshir Valley against Masood. So they decided to to strengthen, you know, uh, troops uh, near the border to protect border more. I see, I see, I see. I see. But yeah. okay, so just to come back to the um, the August operation. So yeah. you you guys went down into. Um, the town in Kunduz. So you deployed to that town in Kunduz. Obviously, inside the context. So um, there had been shelling of Panch from Afghanistan by the Mujahideen, so shelling a, a Soviet town. So uh, there was also at the same time the drawdown. They were withdrawing Soviet troops and all of a sudden they lost control of this town, which was close to the border. So they sent you guys in to take the city back, take this um uh, Kunduz city back, uh, which which city? Yes. I forgot which city it was. Yeah, we thought like this, uh, and even maybe our officers 
uh, our commander sort like but actually we wasn't involved in the operation deliberating the kunduz because it was like it was like in uh, in 2015 and 2016 uh, with Taliban you know Mojikidis right. entered local authorities disappear they spent two days there and then uh, after they uh, understand that the troops are coming they just disappeared from the city like right. this did you arrive in Kunduz did you go uh, did you go into the city were you with that unit um, that was assembled in 24 hours did you, you you rode into Kunduz then with that operation no 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 no. we came to the training center of Pian uh, Shotrat and spent there two months more one month it was hard training it was just hard training another month it was i don't know what actually we were digging on the border okay showed us we were digging some positions on the border just uh, as far as i understand uh, you know it should be withdrawal should be done at any way mm-hmm. inside afghanistan was uh, three meme guests of this atrat yeah inside mm-hmm. it was Mm-hmm. Not not three, four, four, mm-hmm. and three after, MLAs. Yes, and after the withdrawal, they uh, they should be put somewhere, uh, and they uh, decided to put that uh, memories, memories on 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 most unsafe uh, territories. Yeah, where the Mujahideen can can make their revenge actually across the border. But uh, for preparing these places, they used us. Mm-hmm. So in two months, actually, I digged 100 meters of, of uh, trenches. <laughs> you, 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 you yeah. personally dug 100 yes. meters of trenches. Okay, yes. that's a lot. Yes. For someone who's ever, if anyone's yes. ever dug trenches, you'll know that 100 meters of trenches is a lot of trench for one person to dig. <laughs> yes. So we were used like a di- digging troops. <laughs> okay, you were like digging troops, okay. Right, like World War One. Okay. Uh, uh, previously, I said that yeah. uh, such meme G, which was on border, received such uh, a squad uh, that meme G. But we enter later. I don't know why. Well, f- for example, uh, I came to Pianch. Yeah, there was a Pianch uh, PV uh, border guard atriat. Yeah, nearby was Moskovsky. But another trap in which another Memeji came that time. From right side it was Termes. In Termes it also it was also border guard trap, PVO trap, in which came another Memeji. And they all okay. was was uh, deployed to Afghanistan and as far as I understand penetrating the Geneva agreements. Okay. Uh, but because because they were entering uh, Afghanistan or, or what? Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. the agreement was like this. 50% of the troops should be withdrawn, killed. But after that, you know, uh, Soviet Union, in face of KGB, uh, deploy in, uh, another uh, troops, you know, to the Afghanistan. I see. Of course, they were, they were seriously afraid uh, attack attacks on the Soviet territory. Seriously afraid. Right. Right, so so they were afraid of of, of, of more artillery attacks yeah. from Afghanistan yeah. onto um, onto Soviet territory. Okay.
Okay, so take us back. So then, um, to what you were saying earlier, you were talking about uh, then you finished uh, at uh, the Chinese border, the, the Kyrgyzstan posting, and you went back to the to Stava or back to the PV. So just just to get that right, you went. Then what was the next step? So the, the Stava, that's a point of, at every border, uh, at very border, yeah, at mm-hmm. very border. For example, in our uh, atriat, it was eleven the Stavas. It's a very, uh, it's very high mountain there, Tianshan, by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, the lowest the tower was at uh, two thousand five hundred meters high altitude. I spent that month at uh, three thousand three hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and uh, after the tower, I came back to Atrat, where I had the training courses and where was situated all uh, detachments like mortars, like uh, Memege, motor maneuver group, like engineers, like uh, communicators, or signal. Uh, they were situated in Przewalsk, in Atrat. Mm-hmm. And uh, like like in, you know, in reserve, they, of course, for, no, for example, engineers, they were doing, every time they were doing something building roads or or building some premises or at the stars or in Przewalsk, it doesn't matter, but they have work. That uh, persons from uh, uh, Signal Squad, yeah, they was responsible for uh, constructing the communications lines. It means they were putting um, that high sticks, how do you call it? Oh, yes, so uh, telephone wires, like the post, yes. post yes. right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And imagine how, how it's easy to do in mountains. <laughs> right, not, not easy. Not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sometimes explode, sometimes even uh, with explosives, you know, because you can't... Right, you can't blow, blow a hole through the mountain, right? Yes, right. right. So, everybody was or working or servicing at the border doing something like this or teaching the young uh, generation actually which which was coming twice a year in that area because in Soviet time there was another structure they, they have uh, training uh, detachments in one place and uh, how to call combat combat detachments in another but in PV it was all together in one, okay. in one at one point And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.